obviously want to start by saying thank you so much for taking the time to um, chat with us. And it's my first transatlantic podcast. So uh, I feel really privileged to be able to speak to you. Um, what I want to start with is what first drew you to photography? All right. Tell me if I go too long on this. Oh, you go for it. So I kind of grew up like my family was creative, but I didn't really know any photographers. So it was a long time before I kind of found that. But I, so I was like 23 before I got into photography and, uh, wow. I, it just kind of clicked for me, but this is really cheesy. Um, <laughs> fun <for me. laughs> that got uh, past me. <laughs> yeah. Edit that out, please. <laughs> <laughs> but I had a friend who was taking it at like a local college and she kind of convinced me to, I was working at like a paintball warehouse, which is kind of random, but I grew up skateboarding and like, that's how I got the job was through the skate shop. And, mm -hmm. um, so she convinced me to take my tax return from that job and buy a camera, which right. I kind of never knew it was an option. I never really considered it. Everything to me before that was like point and shoot cameras. So, um, so I bought this camera like at circuit city or something. And, like an old film camera. And so I just played around with it. I wasn't really getting it, but I liked it. And then, um, somebody, I think my mom bought me a class for Christmas with this local dark room. And, um, that kind of set it all off. Like there was a few things. My boss at the paintball warehouse had a, he was a photographer and they had a studio there. So that helped a little bit, but, but that class, me and the teacher just like really got to be friends and she sort of mentored me in the beginning and kind of pushed me in the right direction. She got me all my first jobs and she also let me use the, the darkroom space had like a classroom that they didn't really use during the day. So she'd let me use it to shoot in. And so that kind of just like set me up to really do well with it and like put me in front of the right people. And mm -hmm. so so immediate so immediately you saw it as a career? Uh I wouldn't say immediately, maybe a year, year and a half in. Okay. I started she works at she worked at an arts council here, so she knew all the artists in town. And so when I started out, all I did was reproduce artwork for people. And that kind of gave me enough income to like, you know, leave my job and uh, you know, I didn't need much money back then, but um and just kind of find a path with that so it was a weird start so from there what was it that drew you to photographing people uh it's weird because i'm not a big well i won't say i'm not a people person but i'm i'm introverted so like at first i didn't even consider it i actually wanted to be a um nature photographer and i'm mm -hmm. sorry to all the nature i'm sorry to all the nature photographers that listen to this but um she was like um, you're going to be poor your whole life if you're a nature photographer, <laughs> <laughs> which was totally true. She's like, you don't even like camping. Like, why would you want to be a nature photographer? So I think it was just the only thing I knew. And I, I at the time I kind of thought studio photography was sort of dorky. And, um, so she kind of pushed me in that direction, but it took me a few years before I got into shooting people. Like I kept doing product and artwork and, uh, but after a while, like being introverted, it kind of became this like challenge to mm -hmm. see if I could connect with people, you know, as somebody that's, that's not really my, my thing. I was real shy back then. And actually that process of photographing people like brought me out of my shell a lot and kind of taught me like, if you want to do this, like you can't be, I mean, I'm sure there are people, but you can't be that shy and be a portrait photographer. So it really helped me grow a lot in my regular life too. So your first few shots of people, was it people that you knew or was it models? How did you sort of get started with your first few subjects? Hmm. Um, it was probably friends of mine. I still do this now. Like it'll probably harass my friends to let me take their pictures. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Actually, now that I think about it, I did. I had this series I was doing like people doing their things. I like shot my friend that was big into video games, playing video games. and Like I knew a welder, so I did that and um, those photos were terrible. I actually saw them the other day. They were awful. <laughs> <laughs> like worse than, worse than I remembered, but it, <laughs> like just real bad. 
but I had no grasp of it back then, you know, like, I mean, you don't when you start out. So, so it just kind of grew from there. And, um, I did some headshots for people and like, I remember terrible experiences with that because I just had no idea what I was doing. So. Well, headshots are quite difficult for inexperienced subjects because there's so little movement and it's very yeah. like, you you know, you're facing down the barrel basically. So it can be know, intimidating they, for both sides of the camera. I know. Yeah, for sure. I can, I mean, even now, like there's times when it's hard to back then. I mean, that was 12 years ago, so. but I do remember one guy came down, he drove about two hours to get to me to shoot. And, um, I think this was, I was a little further along at this point. So like I was good enough to like, like they would be happy with them, but mm-hmm. he drove about, about two hours and I just bought a new camera. I was all excited about it. First shoot I used it for, and I bought a used one and I guess it was a floor model and it had the setting where you could shoot without a card in it. Oh so no. Like, <laughs> yeah. Oh no. Yep. Turn the camera off, turn it back on. All the, all the pictures are gone. I couldn't get a hold of them and. It was awesome. Uh, yeah. The good thing is that you make those mistakes and like, you don't make them again. Like I'd never make that mistake again. <laughs> I still think about true. it. true. It just haunts me. <laughs> I've, I had a, I had a wedding where someone poured a drink into my camera bag and, and destroyed two cards. <laughs> um, oh. And now I'm, I'm fairly vicious of people that go near my camera bag. <laughs> For sure. That's terrible. Yeah. I assisted with a wedding photographer when I started out and he, uh, he would always be like, take your cards and put them in your pocket like as soon as they're done. And I still do that to this day. Like the second it shoots over, it goes in my pocket. It doesn't go in the camera bag. So I think you can like, it's good to make those mistakes early on and not wait for them. Well, I can't stand the people that say, ah, you don't have to worry about it. I've never had a card fail. And it's like, I've shot 70 (laughs) weddings for the last five years. I've had cards fail. Stop being a smart ass. You know, it's not, it's not (laughs) the smartest thing to kind of, uh, play the odds like that because when it doesn't work out, you're going to look like a right idiot. No. Yeah. That's not good. Um, so looking at your website, one of the things, one of the things that drew me to your work the most, um, and something that I've kind of hung on for the last two hours really is your, uh, your projects. Now, I don't know if, uh, I think the Miss Saigon one isn't a personal project, but I think the Coat project is and the Nostalgia project is. Um, but what is the importance of having projects and having like kind of, um, a set brief, even if you said it yourself? Yeah. Um, that's a good question. Um, I think I just think in terms of that, like I have a hard time, like I do one-off shoots. Like I'll do personal shoots all the time. They're one-offs, but usually at some point they turn into a project and I'm big on, um, not forcing those. So Mm -hmm. a lot of times what'll, what'll happen is like right now I have like three going and just whichever one sticks for me and really speaks to me is the one I'll stick with. And I don't try to force myself to do those other ones. Like I might shoot them, but I'm not going to like turn them into a book and, make a big deal out of them if they're not really speaking to me well the one you have turned into a book i'm gonna make a big deal out of to start with um, <laughs> right, cool. the the coat project now please feel free to correct me if i'm wrong here but yeah uh, it, sh- it shows me a couple of really important things one if you give like one simple element to a variety of subjects it shows you the range you can get out of something that seems quite simple mm-hmm. would that be fair to say yeah i mean that was kind of the whole point of the thing was just to like i just I've really over time doing portrait, I've really gotten excited about how different everybody is. Yeah. So it was just interesting to like take that many people, which was a lot of people. And, uh, it was also a challenge for myself because most of those shoots were 20 minutes. I think the longest one was probably like 40. Right. So it was just this challenge of like, can I get people in some of them I'd never met before. So it was like, bring them in, shoot with them like connect with them enough to where they're comfortable, like trying something different. And and then like, I'm a big Irving Penn fan. So the, the idea of the coat and like one thing to let people play off of was a big thing in my head at that time. So was it a case of tacking on, um, that to the end of other projects? So if you had a, if you had a client booked in or if you had uh, like a test shoot booked in, would you ask them to do that at the end of the shoot or were these specifically booked in just for the coat project? Um, it was a mix. So, um, most of the Broadway people that came in were tacked onto the end of their shoot. There was like some dancers I shot with that I either did at the end of the shoot or had them come back, but maybe, maybe 
70 percent were probably people that came in just to do it and i would set up days where it was like like five people a day would come in and i would I'd knock it out and it was pretty simple because it was like a background and camera like i didn't have lighting or anything so it was pretty doable to like do it that way but it was it was a crazy it's so effective though i think um like the, it's a, it's a really textured black and white. There's lots of layering and depth to the image because of the way the background is set out. It's, it's just, I think it's, I think it's absolutely wonderful. It's, it's the first thing that really kind of uh, stuck with me uh, going through your website. It really, um, I kind of have shown it to a, a few people that are probably sick of hearing me constantly <laughs> shop work in their face and uh, recommend it. Uh, moving on to the, the Miss Saigon project, um, who approached who and how did that kind of work out? Um, that one kind of was a weird start too. So that you were saying that one is kind of a personal project, but it came from a hired shoot. So, um, it's been a weird thing cause that has really changed my career that, that whole thing. But so last year, I think like in January, I got a message from Jackie who was one of the cast and, uh, she had asked about shooting and she had just found me randomly on Instagram. I think, under like Greenville's hashtag or whatever. Right. And, um, just kind of connected with my work. And so she was real excited about it and she ended up booking all the girls of the cast, which was like 12 or 13 people. So, you know, they wanted, you know, content for their Instagram and stuff. It wasn't for the show. So, um, but I had been shooting this four by five camera for a while. So, uh, and she definitely wanted that as well. So I like shot, you know, movement stuff and all this stuff with each of them. And then we did a, a four by five headshot of everybody. Well, then, um, like a month after that, all the guys from the cast saw the photos of the girls and, um, they wanted photos. So I like traveled to where they were then and did kind of the same thing over again, which that was like one of the craziest shoots of my career. It was like, five days in a hotel room shooting all these photos and like <laughs> the smallest face. Like I had all the, you know, my backgrounds were pinned to the wall and we were like shooting around everything and I was sleeping there at night. So like, it was just crazy. But me and Jackie, like got to be like, we got to be really good friends after that. And I got to be friends with a lot of them. So they kind of connected me with the right people. And now I've shot a lot of Broadway stuff. And, but that project kind of stem from that. So all those four by five headshots. Now what I'm working towards is I'm trying to do 200 uh, Broadway headshots and on the four by five camera. Right. And so when I hit 200, I'm going to try to do a book or a show or something, but I think I'm at like, Amazing. I think I'm at 80 now or something. So it's been a good, a good run of that. And the more of the people, more people I meet, the more I meet from them. So it's been like a good, a good kind of new venue for me. The um, nostalgia project. I've never seen anything like it um, at all. And, and I, obviously, you have your um, your description written above. And um, something that at first I wasn't sure if I was missing. And then I kind of, after reading the description, because I'm I'm the kind of idiot that goes straight to the pictures. I don't read before I <laughs> no, check out the see. pictures. Um, but the, the fact that the interpretation is up to the viewer is like something that you just don't see with photography anymore. I appreciate it. Yeah. That, that was a big thing for me is I, I actually debated on that the whole time I was shooting it. And that's one of those projects. Like that's probably the, it's a couple of years ago I was shooting that and I keep thinking I'll pick it back up. I haven't yet, but, um, but yeah, I didn't want to, I didn't want to give the description. I felt like the interest was in like figuring out what it was. And I also thought since it's all writers and artists, I thought it would be interesting to see if there were like patterns in what they brought. Right. Which there was. I had to tell people stop bringing mugs. Everybody brought a mug. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> think, think, think beyond the mugs, please. <laughs> what was it that gave you the idea to do that, though? What was what was sort of the spark plug on that idea on that process? Um, that one came from. So, we have this really prolific artist here in town that, like, painted for fifty years. His name's Carl Blair. Um, and his family, he had Parkinson's. And so a couple of years ago, his family hired me to, um, shoot a lot of his work, like a backlog of his work. Cause I still do a lot of that now. And, uh, I was at his house a lot for that. And he was at home at that point, but 
Um, but he, uh, let's see. So in the process of shooting all his work, he had a lot of little things around his house that were like important to him. Like a lot. He had a very eclectic like house. So, um, I ended up, they were like, we can't, you know, we can't keep everything, which is really hard. And so I was like, well, maybe it'd be cool to do like a photo series with the stuff. And that way you have like the photos, even though you don't have the stuff. So yeah. from that, it came around to kind of putting the people with that stuff. And it just sort of stemmed from that. And he's actually in that project, which was lucky because I think he passed away like right after we shot his photos for that. It was kind of oh, wow. a, big, a big honor for me to have him on camera and stuff. It's, it's amazing work. And like I say, it's something I've not seen. I, I can't think of anybody else I've seen do anything similar, um, especially not contemporarily. Um, well, I really appreciate it. So one of the things that really sort of jumped out at me about your work is the personality, the life and the expression. It's not, uh, you know, uh, speaking from the point of view of being quite a boring portrait photographer myself, um, <laughs> quite a lot of portrait photographers are kind of by the numbers and boring. So, um, I think one of the reasons that I think uh, I'm taking a guess here and I'd love it if you could either correct me or tell me if I'm right. But I think the reason that your work has so much life to it is primarily because you have a lot of performers as subjects. Um, yeah, it probably helps for sure. Like they're definitely more comfortable. I think, um, I don't like, I'm not good at like talking kindly about myself, but I think I do have a personality on shoots that, allows people to open up more than some people. Right. And I think it's some, it's something I've practiced. It's not like me, but, um, <clears throat> but I've heard from people that like, they felt like they came in thinking they were going to be nervous and they came, they felt like they could like open up, really open up on the street. So I think I've kind of practiced that mentality on shoots. Is it a case of building up trust and, and building up a rapport before you start shooting? Sometimes I think I, I think I have a good head for like knowing who's going to be, you know, some people are, I'm not insulting anybody, but some people are impossible to do that with. Like some people are just so inside their own head about their image. But I think the people that aren't like, I have a good eye of like, do I talk to them for a little bit before the shoot or do I, you know, jump right in or how do I get them comfortable? I think it's just a, um, just a, process of like figuring them out pretty quick. Like part of that co-project was, um, one of the cast of, uh, band's visit came in. I think we had, I think I had 45 minutes per person and then 20 minutes of that was for the co-project because I was shooting their images too. So mm-hmm. like I've gotten a lot of practice that like, okay, connect with the person, shoot, you know, get them to open up, shoot a little more and then like just kind of make it work. I never feel like that's going to happen, but it, it seems to on shoots. Is there anything that you would say is like an absolute no, no on a shoot in terms of like kind of killing that trust or, you know, is there, is there anything you absolutely have to avoid to keep that trust? Yeah, probably. I think one thing that works well is I kind of see a lot. I I have like a lot of trying to think how to say that. Uh, I have a lot of respect for people. So like any kind of, any person that comes in, like whatever their job or anything, like I I find a way to like kind of look at them like a celebrity. So I kind of, I don't really like, I don't really like kiss up to them, but I just like make sure they feel comfortable on the same level. And like, I'm trying to think. Um, But yeah, I try to avoid like, anything uncomfortable like i don't make weird jokes i don't flirt with people like i try to keep it very just comfortable and like hanging out with friends honestly yeah like that's kind of how i see my shoots i've always found um especially from working with someone that's new in front of a camera a lot of it's just down to talking about anything other than the process that they're currently going through for sure yeah not too many no people one wants to like, talk photography when they're being photographed <laughs> no they're not it's like 10% of people are actually like love being in front of camera. Like most people are terrified. So yeah. I think it's a lot lower than 10% in England. <laughs> it probably is here too. Yeah. 
something you describe yourself as on your website and something I love, I love asking people for definitions on stuff because it kind of tells me quite a lot about them. So I apologize if this is an annoyingly vague question, but uh, (laughs) you describe yourself as a fine art photographer. What is a fine art photographer? That is a good question. Um, I think it's, I think that's a tough question to even answer because I feel like that word is kind of thrown around a lot. Mm-hmm. For, for me, I think there's got to be like meaning behind the work and like more than just what you see. So, okay. but I also think to some extent, like I've always tried in my career to not just be a technician. Like I want to be an artist and I want to express something through my work. So I feel like for me, it's important to have that up there because I do think you know, with things like the code project, I've been able to like express ideas and things. I feel yeah. like it's that, like it's that, it's that next step beyond just an image. Amazing. I, I couldn't agree more. I think it's, it's a mix of aesthetic and, and sort of, um, intent meets interpretation. It's, it's one of those things that it sounds really good if you have a very posh English accent, but if you have one like mine, you just sound like <laughs> you're being pretentious. I disagree. I don't know. <laughs> Well, imagine if you have a Southern American accent. Sort of Honestly, I like, wish I had your accent. I'm a, I'm a huge Leonard <laughs> really? Skinner fan. I love spending time in the desert. I wish I had your accent. <laughs> I know. have a Leonard Skinner accent. That's awesome. So something that's really, really uh, difficult to do, but something you do incredibly well is to develop like a consistent style, despite the fact that you have these wide range of projects and shots in various circumstances like your environmental portraiture the coat project you know there's 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 big differences in the approach to the images but you have a consistent style throughout them how do you go about developing that consistent style um that's a good question uh i'm gonna say that every time actually uh just cut all the beginning of my answers here i'm fine Um, with you saying that i'm giving i'm giving out good (laughs) questions (laughs) <laughs> no, I like these. Um, I actually like being asked questions. This is great. Um, I don't, I don't really work at it. It's interesting. Like, I think what I do is I don't, um, I don't stop it from happening. If that makes sense. Like I make decisions that make the style happen and I let myself make those decisions. So like if I, you know, the coat project was my first like full black and white project. And if I want to do that, I'll just do it. And I think that ends up, you end up making those same decisions because you're the same person. So you end up making the same type decisions every time. So stuff. So it's more of, it's more of a subconscious personality thing than it is a, um, like a, an artistic choice in a conscious sense. Um, yeah, mostly. I mean, I do think like, I kind of, if I look at my, like backlog of photography, I can see where I bounce around. So like there was a time when I was doing like a lot of retouching and then, so now I'm sort of in this phase where I like gritty and I like people's skin and I like real. And it was kind of a play against all that retouching I was doing. So I think I go through stuff like that. But as far as like each shoot, if I'm like, this is the aesthetic I want, I usually don't do that. Like I'll usually kind of just, play around and see what I come up with. And I think I just end up liking the same things repeatedly. Yeah. It's, it's really impressive because I think consistency is considered to be quite a boring quality, but having consistent style, having something that people recognize as being your work is obviously incredibly helpful if that's what you're trying to, um, if, if you're trying to create an audience for your own work and you're trying to create a look that people recognize and build a brand or anything like that, you have to have some form of consistency and it's incredibly difficult to do it across the broad range of the, of the things that you're doing. Well, I think it's kind of a dangerous thing too. So it's interesting because like I still have a lot of artist friends from when I, like I still shoot a lot of artworks. So I see a lot of them and, and I know like if you, it's a little different in photography, but in art, if you, you know, sell a piece of work and realize that people like that. And then you're like, okay, well, I'll just make a bunch of work like that. You kind of get in a weird place. So like I try to keep some threads through everything, but I don't try to keep everything super consistent. Like it doesn't need to look the same to me as long as there's like a gritty element or a rough element, like, um, things like that. So I just kind of try to keep those veins in there. It's obviously working for you because it's, it's one of the, I think it's one of the best qualities of your work. Um, 
to kind of move off onto something a bit more technical, uh, your re- you obviously switch between digital and film a fair bit. Uh, I'm assuming. What what are your reasons for picking each when you do? Um. Well, I started out in film, so I did about two years in the darkroom before I went digital, and I loved it. Um, there's like a magic to it that I, you know, you just like I love shooting digital, but you just don't quite quite get that. So when I went to digital, I think over the years I started getting a little burned out with like doing a shoot and shooting, you know, a thousand images and then having to come home and sit at the computer. That's just not my favorite thing to do. So I hit like a burnout point a couple of years ago where I just, I just couldn't do it anymore. I was just shooting too much. And, um, so I had never shot four by five. I'd only shot, you know, medium format. And a friend of mine suggested it. Um, I'm not going to name her because it was a bit of a, <laughs> it was like, why did you do this to me? Because I just got obsessed with it. Um, <laughs> and I thought, you know, I thought, well, this will be much less computer work, but it's really not because I'm scanning the negatives. So it ends up, you know, I mean, it is less photos. It did, it did make me help with that. But now I kind of shoot four by five is like, I love it for portrait and I love it for its qualities, but there are times when I just, it doesn't make sense. Like the coat project, I did that whole project in three months, like start, start shooting till the book came out. Like I couldn't have done that on film. Yeah. And then like I shoot a lot of dance stuff and movement and it's just not my favorite thing to shoot it with that. Cause you'd like burn through a lot of film and the film's not super cheap. So now I kind of tack it on. Usually I'll do, you know, three or four, four by five images at the end of a shoot. And, a lot of times those are the ones I like the best, but you know, sometimes I'll do a four full four by five shoot and it's like 10 photos for the whole shoot. And, um, which is scary, but it tends to come out better than shooting 200 digitals usually. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, I just think it out more. So I feel like the four by five is kind of my outlet to feel a little more like an artist. Cause you really think out each image and you're, you're really considering everything with it and, with digital, I might just try some stuff and shoot. So both of them have their place, but, but I also, I will say, I also started shooting four by five. I love all the local photographers here and, um, they're all going to hate me for this, but I kind of didn't feel like I had my own thing here. Yeah. Um, and I just wanted something that was mine. And I felt like four by five, if you don't want to shoot it and you don't love it, you're not going to do it because it's a pain in the ass. Like it's just a lot of extra work. So. I just kind of felt like I needed something on my own. So I guess that too. Oh, it's, it's amazing. It's, it's so, t- it's, um, it's like an un- intangible quality to film. It almost feels like it has a texture even when it's on a screen. Yeah. It's got, it's just such a different look. I really like it. And, and, you know, at some point I'd love to print in the dark room, but for now it's like scanning the negatives is working pretty well. It looks wonderful. Uh, I was going to say, I have a funny scanner too. Cause I like, I have a really nice, um, Epson scanner. But, mm-hmm. and I bought like one of those super nice wet plate scans where you put like floated in oil. Yeah. I hate that thing. And so instead, <laughs> I had a friend of mine has a laser cutter and she laser cut me a holder. And it's like the simplest little rectangle. And so I, I got that wet plate thinking I'd do that, get better scans. And I just immediately went back to that laser cut thing. So it's like this really nice scanner with this really crappy film holder. But, it works for what I want. I think that's where uh, an American would differ from someone from England. I think it's like you guys with your cars. You guys buy a car <laughs> and you immediately want to put a new engine in it. You want to put new brakes and, you know, you want to make it faster and louder and better. And we, in, in Europe, we <laughs> yeah. tend to buy a car and then that's it. <laughs> uh, yeah, it might be true. Me and my friend Evan has this joke that we'll be like, well, it's punk rock. So everything's like, you know, like I'll leave all the... Uh, the hanging marks and like I leave the edges on mine. I'm like, well, it's punk rock. It's fine. Like, yeah, I just yeah. kind of leave a leave a little bit of um, organicness to it and let it go. It's kind of strange as well because I feel like it gives images that kind of behind the the behind the scenes look. Um, at the same time as giving it the um, I don't know. It's kind of got a Peter Lindbergh thing to it where it's kind of raw and. I, you know, it's, it's it's a hard one to put into words, but it's, it looks fantastic. I appreciate it. I, I also think it kind of gives me a fingerprint on my images. Like, you know, I use a certain hanger 
all my hanging marks are in all my four by fives. And it actually, if you look at the edges of mine, the edges are that film holder. So I just feel like it's like a signature of my work that you can't really, somebody else couldn't really repeat. But it like kind of gives it a quality that's mine a little bit. Where you're based, do you have a lot of photographers in the area? Um, yeah, there's quite a few. Um, there's probably, we used to have a, we actually used to have a big photo group here and, you know, it sort of switched between about 20 people, but, um, but yeah, there's quite a few here. It's not a huge city, but, um, but it's decent size. And so it's funny cause I don't know if you know about wonderful machine, but there's like more people on wonderful machine here than a lot of the big cities around for some reason. This is the, the wonderful machine is your, would it be an agency, I guess? Yeah, it's like a digital agency where they kind of represent a lot of people. So um, you, they kind of jury you in and there's most cities have like two to three people. And for some reason we have like, we had six for a while. I think there's five now, but kind of odd for such a small city. Obviously it's a bit of a creative, it must be something they're putting in the water. Yeah, there must be. There's so many artists here. That's one thing I love about Greenville is there are like the place where my studio is, like we have a little village area. I mean, there's got to be like 40, 50 artists out there. Like, it's just a ton of artists here. So, like, there's going to be a lot of photographers too. Amazing. Um, with your environmental portraits, um, there's obviously a tremendous amount of production value in it. And it looks like a tremendous amount of, of pre-production that's gone into it. Um, are you working alone when you're doing a lot of these um, sort of location jobs? Or you, have you got someone there to help you with lighting? You know, what's how does how does that brief work? Um well, I really appreciate that because they're like super not, not high production. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> they're, they're usually like, a lot of them are like, but I appreciate that you said that because um, they are kind of the opposite end of my work where it is more like polished. But mainly that's because a lot of those came from a magazine I shoot for here. And like that's that solidity for them. And so sometimes I'll have an assistant. It doesn't happen too often, honestly. Like I, I shoot a lot of one light stuff. And I do a lot of mixed like natural light with one light. I don't mm-hmm. usually need somebody. Um, although I had a shoot yesterday. I do. I had this cool, um, I have a friend that works at this marketing company and they had this cool project last year and we did I think 18 portraits for them. And instead of doing headshots, they decided to do environmental portraits of each person based on that person's interests, which mm-hmm. was like, you know, the the dream project of mine so and so we shot another one yesterday because i hired somebody new and uh i did need somebody yesterday because there was like wind like crazy and we're shooting right at the edge of a pool uh so (laughs) there are times but but usually it's just me well i had an assistant for a while but he got a full-time job so i haven't seen him um so when it comes to those jobs, though, I've seen like a college basketball coach and obviously a few people that work in different fields. How is it the magazine that's sending you to these with the brief and you get to kind of dictate the artistic direction it goes in? Uh, generally, yeah. Sometimes there'll be a, like, so my friend Paul is the art director at that magazine that I shoot for mostly. Like I've shot, some of those came from other magazines, but um but he'll usually, because I had shot, for, I mean, I shot for them for five years. So like at that point, you know, he's like, just do your thing. But sometimes he'll say, you know, include this in the background or avoid this and things like that. So it kind of depends on the the shoot. But some of those were self-assigned. I usually don't do personal work as that kind of shoot. Like usually those are more studio portrait, but um, but yeah, occasionally he'll send me like a very specific uh, or direction, but usually if he does that, I'll shoot it and then shoot what I think might work. And cause you know, they're not on set, so they don't always know what's, yeah what's going on. And, but a lot of those town shoots too are like, all right, you have an hour, you have an hour and you just met the person. So they can be tricky too. Yeah. No, it's obviously the time constraints is bad enough, but also when you've got to hit certain markers for someone, like you say, who's not on set, if you have to interpret it yourself, it can be really difficult. And if you have someone giving you a brief, but they don't know what you're working with, that can be mm-hmm. the other side of the coin. And, and that can be just as difficult. Um, yeah. Something people don't realize, I think with professional photography is how often you're kind of cornered by a set of circumstances and you have to kind of fight your way out of it. Uh, that's a, yeah. Me and my friend will talk about that all the time. Cause 
like you'll see like newer people will take an amazing photo, but then you put them on a, on a magazine assignment and sometimes they just can't do it. And it's because there's like things you don't see behind the scenes, like time constraints and, you know, you go somewhere and they have four foot ceilings and you're like, what do I do? That's like trying to get around those is definitely a, a skill that takes some time. Yeah. Which I still, you know, I still have shoots where I feel like, what did I just do? Why did I do that? <laughs> but you just kind of go with, <laughs> you know, you get there and kind of go with what you think is going to work and hope for the best. I think it's quite similar to, uh, I have a, I have an opinion on like the ethics of wedding photography in England. There's quite a big thing yeah. for um, faking weddings and you take a pitch, you take pictures of essentially a mocked up wedding where loads of suppliers bring in like wedding dresses and whatnot. Mm-hmm. You build a portfolio out from that where you've had all day to shoot. You've had optimum conditions. You've had the ability to start and stop things as, as you want. And then they mm-hmm. advertise themselves as a wedding photographer on that. And I always think it's kind of that, you know, okay, great. When you give them two models and a load of pre-designed stuff and all the time in the world and great light, they're great. But if you give them a difficult circumstance, like a real wedding, they're going to fall to pieces because it's the stuff you don't see in the photos that makes it hard. For sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, I don't envy wedding photographers for sure, but, um, (laughs) (laughs) that tends to be the reaction I get. (laughs) Yeah. I, um, my shoots, I definitely have shoots where I can't replace them. It does happen, but it's not as often. I feel like weddings, like that's so scary. I had a friend that just got married at the end of last year and the photographer lost all her photos. Hard drive. Oh no. I hope she doesn't, she doesn't listen to this. (laughs) 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 But I felt so bad. She, yeah, Uh, that's a scary thing for sure. But I've had travel shoots and things where you couldn't replace it. Like there was no way you could replace it. So I felt that, but it's just, you know, not as often. Yeah, it's, it's always like you put a card in and there's, it just comes up with nothing and you're like, your heart yeah. hits, your heart hits your, your stomach and you're just like, oh, fuck, I'm, I'm screwed. <laughs> yeah. You start thinking of, I, th- my immediate thing is to start thinking of like, okay, so what country could I go to where no one would find <laughs> me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like Jamaica's really nice this time of year. I mean, well, the problem we have is because because Britain's basically invaded every country around the world. We're never generally liked wherever we go. <laughs> oh, really? Uh, I feel like we like y'all here. You can come here. Oh, absolutely. I'd love to. I think those people kind of shoot themselves in the foot. Though, like eventually, it catches up to them. Like you can't you can't keep that up for good. You know, like people will catch on. No, I think cir- circumstances will find you out and wherever you lack in technical knowledge. And it's not so much just basic technical knowledge, but like you said, being able to figure out stuff when when circumstances aren't ideal and you've got a four foot high ceiling or you've got an incredibly ridiculous time constraint, that's when you find out sort of who you are as a photographer. Yeah, that's why I tell clients now too. And, you know, if they kind of have a hard time with the price, I'm always like, you know, you know you're not hiring me for my best work. You're hiring me for whatever's going to go wrong, like I'm going to be okay with it. And if you hire yeah. somebody new, you know, that doesn't know what they're doing or kind of misadvertise themselves, like they're going to freak out and not get anything. So it's just one of those things. Something comes, something comes up on every shoot for sure. Especially today when everyone's lying about everything on the internet, it's, it's, you know, <laughs> yeah. far too easy to fall in the trap of thinking that someone's good at something. You spend five minutes on Instagram, you know, most people don't have the life that they're telling you they have. <laughs> no, a lot of Photoshop happening, don't they? um as far as like potential future projects or ambitions what sort of the next couple years got in store for you and what where would you like to go with things um that's interesting because i I think i'm still trying to figure that out like the coat project was such a it like really connected with me and people really connected with it so it felt like kind of a crescendo is that a good word for that um yeah so i've had a hard I had a hard time like moving into the next thing, but I'm still working on those Broadway portraits. Um, you know, I did another like 15 of them a couple of weeks ago before all this happened. And, um, <clears throat> I've got an exhibit next year in February that I'm working towards. So I'm working on that project, which it's like a lot of, um, sort of, uh, I don't even know how to describe it. Um, kind of dark and thoughtful portraits, headshots. And, um, so I'm working on that. I'm working on some dance, the dance project that I've just started. And I've, I've had a couple of professional dancers work with me on that. Um, 
So right now I'm kind of in that space where I'm like trying to figure out what's next and what I want to do. I suppose right now as well, it's not the best time to be planning the future when we don't know what's happening like day to day. (laughs) Yeah. Will there be a future? We'll see. Uh, As long as there's money, they'll always find a way to keep the future going. (laughs) Right. Hopefully. Yeah. I mean, luckily like my studio is shut down and the space I work in is large. And so like I can do, because we're not on full lockdown, like I can do a, you know, person, one person shoot right now. So I haven't, but I could. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not completely out of the the game, but I haven't had a shoot in a couple of weeks. It's been kind of weird since yesterday. Oh, I've had my next two months completely cleared where I've got no work at all. Um, it's all been moved or cancelled. And um, yeah. now if, if we go outside where I'm living, you, you get challenged fairly quickly by the police at what you're up to, which is mm. slightly frustrating. Um, yeah, because that's... if you're out, if you're like taking a walk on your own, I mean, who am I going to infect? Right. Yeah, that's tough. We're kind of, although it could turn into here where like if I look out my window, I live like on in downtown and uh, <clears throat> there's so many people out and I'm just like, yo, you're going to make this take longer, <laughs> like just stay in for a couple of days. Like, yeah, just, and just get this over with. Yeah. Uh, one of the good. things I loved about, I loved about England is we're, we're incredibly um, to the point and rude with each other just instantly there's no niceties at all at all and there was like instagram campaigns that was just like stay the fuck in and stop being an asshole and things like that um and and like there's just no um there's just no tolerance for it so at least here after one weekend of people being a bit stupid it kind of immediately calmed down yeah Oh, we don't have one thing we had I have to ask did you have this problem in America with people just going out and bulk buying toilet paper uh yeah oh yeah we definitely had that um yeah they actually had to send out a big thing like stop buying all the toilet paper so it was pretty <laughs> I, just, I thought like bidet bidet sales are just gonna go skyrocket like those companies are gonna make so much money off of this but yeah exactly yeah <laughs> yeah we um it's been weird. So we had that grocery stores were getting cleared out. Like people kind of freaked out. And then we've had like a lot of, it took a while to get people to take, take it serious. So like I heard the other day that spring break was like busier than ever because plane tickets were so cheap and uh, it's been pretty scary. Uh, yeah. Young people, eh? <laughs> yep. <laughs> no, no. Cause you have, you have two sides of it. You have the, the side that doesn't think it's the real thing at all. And they, they cause more problems by ignoring mm. it. And then you get the side that caused their own set of problems by going out and buying all of the tin food and all of the pasta and all of the, um, toilet paper so that they just sat in their house with a load of dry food and, uh, and an abundance of things to wipe their ass with. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's a very strange thing. I think like culturally it's bizarre that America and, and England, although we are obviously, we, we speak the same language sort of. Mm. Um, it's amazing that we have such different cultures, but the first thing everyone went to was toilet paper. Yeah, that is weird actually. Yeah. For an illness that has no effect on your, on your digestive system. Yeah. It is very strange that, but that's kind of like, I don't know if y'all have that there, but if it snows here, like bread and, milk sells out and it's like those are the yep. things that go bad the fastest like why are you buying that so buy canned food or something yeah but the difference is i guess you probably have actual real snow that you can sort of see and settles whereas in england we get snow that comes down with the rain so there's no purpose to it at all it doesn't it, it, you don't get a snow day there's no fun to it just three or four people will crash their car because they're driving at you know 120 mile an hour without <laughs> right, thinking yeah. about what they're doing um and then the whole country shuts down because we're scared of a little bit of powder no no that's what we're, that's us too I, I grew up in virginia which is like six hours north of here and mm-hmm. we would get like two feet a few times a year maybe like greenville we really don't get snow much. Like we had it this year and it was like half an inch and it barely sucked. Uh, we don't get too much here, but people will freak out. And our whole state has like two, um, plows. So they have to like borrow plows from other states. <laughs> to plow our so if it does happen, we're, we're in, we're screwed completely. The main problem with England is that we have Scotland to the north and Scotland are really good at dealing with any problems. So we get bad weather and that they consider it to be summer. We get bad snow. They don't even consider it to be <laughs> snow. They're, they're like right. all weather terrain vehicles and English people are just all stupid Italian sports cars that can't handle anything. <laughs> um, so what I want to... Fi- 
what I want to finish off with, because I'm, I'm so thankful for you taking the time to do this, um, is, uh, because obviously where people are, are sort of trying to stay inside and they're locked in or, or whatnot, I'm trying to open up people to new photographers or new influences. So are there any photographers at the moment that are really catching your eye? Any work that you're a big fan of any long time influences that you're a big fan of? Um, yeah, I mean a lot, honestly. <laughs> um, I mean, historically, there's a few. Do you want new, like, current people? Whoever you want to give me. Uh, um, I'm a huge Yosef Karsh fan. Um, I feel like his work's really interesting because, like, you look at photos from the, like, 50s and they look like modern photos. Uh, <clears throat> Avedon has been a big thing with me. Like, uh, I think that was one of the things when I got into 4 by 5 like, Avedon's work really spoke to me. Um <clears throat> Uh, Irving Penn, on, honestly, like project wise, I feel like that's been a big influence. And then modern wise, like Josh Wool is a bit, I'm a big fan of Josh Wool. Oh, I love Josh Wool. Yeah, I, I like his a lot. And um, Patrick John is in New York. And I went up to shoot in New York like two weeks ago and he works like a few miles from where I was. <laughs> I was like, I want to go harass him, but I didn't, I didn't have time to do it. So. Uh, but I feel like Patrick Chong is like a big influence on me lately. He's just real gritty and it's just really interesting work. <clears throat> I know nothing about Amazing. him as a human. He never, he never posts about himself. So I'd be curious what he's like. But. It's usually a good idea when you idolize someone's work sometimes to not get to know them. I had the unfortunate experience <laughs> a few years ago of meeting my all time photographic idol and he started talking about how he can control the universe of his mind. So um, <laughs> it doesn't always play out. <laughs> right. Who was it? I'm curious. Uh, so it's an English wedding photographer called Ross Harvey. He does a lot of work in Italy and, and all over the world. He's he's a phenomenal photographer, but um, I paid a, a significant amount of money to go and uh, do one of his wedding workshops. And he started talking about how the universe can be observed. And when it's being observed, it behaves <laughs> differently. And, and I was just sat there and I was just like, can you just talk about cameras or <laughs> photography or something, please? That's awesome. I haven't, I'm not, I'm not. I'm not going to do the same thing, but I have this obsession with um, flat earth YouTube shows where they like debunk flat earth people. Um, so I get really entertained when anybody brings up stuff like that. It's, it's pretty out there. Or like dinosaur uh, people that deny that dinosaurs existed. I'm just really entertained by those people. Yeah, I think that they're, they're underappreciated. I think people get very angry with them when in actual fact you should kind of let them run with it, make a lot of material to watch, and then you've got a lot of things to laugh at. It's like a self-fulfilling comedy. <laughs> it is, it really is. So that's pretty much what I've been doing this, this week. One thing I try and make sure that every guest does at the end is they tell us where we can find your work. Um, with you, it's especially important because although I don't really like the metric of social media following as um, a sort of a, a barometer of how good someone is at their craft, you are painfully underfollowed considering your skill level and your body of work. So where can everyone find you? I appreciate that. Um, so Eli Warren Photo on Instagram is my kind of outlet for my creative work. Um, I don't post a lot of headshots. I don't post a lot of like, uh, magazine work on there, but, and then, uh, elawarren.com on my website is soon to be updated. I've actually got like a year's worth of new work that's not up there yet. Um, well, some of the new stuff is, but, uh, besides that, I guess that's about it. Those are my main two outlets. I don't, I don't do Facebook. I'm not really big on too many other social medias, but, it's it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. I'm so thankful that yeah, we managed really to find time it. to do this. I'm really appreciative. Um, yeah, thanks for doing. Thank this. you this so a much. Cool idea to like make this happen. It's, it's a nice break from the uh, craziness. <laughs>